So uh, we are continuing with a series. At the top, it says eight essential elements of the biblical Christian gospel series. The eight elements are listed in Roman numeral one, and we are now on element six, and uh, which is receiving Jesus Christ, um, which uh, can also be titled key components of. Uh, Soteriology. Soteriology is this the Greek word for the doctrines of salvation. How, how is it that a person is, is saved? Uh, you could call it responding to the gospel because the gospel requires daily responses. And, uh, or you could call it key components and uh, key exchanges because um, really what you're doing in Christianity is you're trading your life for Christ's life. You're making a simple exchange. You cannot just receive him in a sinner's prayer way. You have to trade in your life for his life. And you need to let him live his life through you. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I have been crucified, past tense, with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, present tense. But the life I live in the flesh, present tense, I live by faith, that is trusting in, clinging to, relying on, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Uh, the gospel calls us to reorient ourselves every day that we're crucified. We've died to I, I think and, and I feel and I belong and I want and these are my goals. And we've received him and his purposes and his goals and his life. We've entered into his resurrection. We've entered into his family. We've entered into his purposes and we, we've entered into his mission for his church. So um, today we're going to continue. This is part element 6P. This is our 63rd, 65th message in the, in the series. And I'm anticipating that we'll finish somewhere between 125 and 150 messages. So uh, we're probably more than halfway. Or maybe about halfway. Somewhere in that range. So... Uh, I think just on element five, Christology, when we were studying who is Jesus, we, I believe we spent about 32 weeks on that. So um, today we're going to look at the whole idea of receiving Christ. It is uh, based on grace, and that grace is not a one-time thing, but grace is our daily journey. It's our life's journey. Uh, and we, you actually progressively live less by performance base and more by grace the further you go with Christ, the more you walk with God. And actually, a battle to do that is deep within our old human sin nature. Your sin nature needs to be reckoned crucified with Christ daily, hourly, moment by moment, because your sin nature wants to exalt itself and live by, I'm a pretty good person, and, and live by its own merits and its own performance. So, um, if there's anything that's, that the church in America is struggling with today, it's having a deep enough view of what sin is, and that we are utterly sinful. As Paul said in Romans 7, 7 there is nothing good that dwells in us. And we have this tendency to define sin in shallow ways. And so if we don't see ourselves as having sinned very, according to this shallow list of, well, I, I went to church 80% of the time, and 
I didn't steal cars and I didn't kill anybody. And I went out of, you know, I never drank or did drugs or ran around with the people who do. And, and so, I, you know, I, yeah, I need a savior, but mostly I'm a pretty good person. And as long as you have that, you'll never progress very far in the Christian life. You'll be standing at the door looking in. Because the fact is, uh, we are all the chief of sinners. And uh, when, the more God can help us see the depth of sin, the more we can see grace. Romans 5.20 says that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. You'll never really lean on grace if you don't come to, the, to, to know the depths of your, your, own, your sin. And you can't just know that conceptually. You have to know it in, experientially in your heart of hearts. So that's a little you know, a teaser. Uh, if you'll jump down to uh, Roman numeral 2, we already did the uh, in 3 and 4 kind of summarize what we did the first 62 weeks. Roman numeral 5 uh, summarizes what we did so far in element 6. There's a whole list of words there that we've covered, a more biblical definition of those words. Uh, one of the keys to reading the Bible is that Paul said that we combine spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. To understand the Bible, you need to build a biblical vocabulary. So that's what we've been doing a lot in this element 6. Um, now, uh, last two weeks, we've reviewed grace. Those of you who know our church know that we're called Grace Christian Fellowship because we think grace is a primary foundational uh, concept and experience. And so um, we actually have on, on our podcast, we have a 16-part series that has six outlines to go with it called Grace Upon Grace. And so far, we're batting pretty close to 100% of the Christians who have grown up in the church have said when we mentioned to listen to it that they don't need it because they know all this stuff already. And then they've listened to it, and then they said, wow, it revolutionized my life. I didn't know any of that stuff already. So uh, we do encourage you to consider listening to the Grace Upon Grace series in full but we've been summarizing that the last two weeks, and I don't have time to review it much, but I do want to jump down. We, we looked at uh, it's ver, number, Roman numeral 6a still on the front of the page. There are five possible ways of doing the relationship between grace and works. And they're all listed there. And the only one of those is the fifth one, grace upon grace. We tend to, uh, there are certain kinds of... Re, all false religions and some versions of Christianity have works plus nothing. It's by our works that we obtain grace or favor. That's, of course, completely wrong. And uh, some theologies have grace and works mix together, attains favor. And uh, the Galatians had a problem, and I think most Christians have a problem with a grace plus works. We start by grace. But then we think we're perfecting ourselves by do this, don't do that, do that, and the other thing. And the hard part of it is there are things you need to respond to and do to keep acquiring grace. But they need to be by the initiation of his grace. And uh, so grace plus grace is, or grace upon grace, is the only uh, true biblical way. Now, part Roman numeral 6b, we put how to detect or discern performance-based theologies in ourselves. And if you're mature enough, you uh, might graduate to, uh, per, you know, uh, detecting them in others. 
But um, here, you know, solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Now, that is not only referring to the charismatic gift in 1 Corinthians 12 of, uh, called the Sermon of Spirits, whereby the Holy Spirit, you get a spiritual, supernatural discernment that you could have not known from your biblical knowledge or from your experiences or from observing behavior. But that's why he says their senses, because it does include what, what you know from biblical experience, what you know from observing people and, and their behavior and so forth, because you're, you're, what's in your spirit, in your heart, the mouth speaks out of the abundance that fills the heart. Your actions, your words, your attitudes will eventually manifest themselves to the people around you. If you're a quieter person, that might take a little longer. But uh, some people, uh, you know, what they are is just out there. And uh, other people, you kind of need to draw it out. So we all struggle. What we're going to talk about today is we all struggle with this idea of trying, of, of, want, you know, of our flesh and our sin nature wanting to establish itself by performance base. So here's some ways you can discern if that's what's going on with you. Number one, you'll have condemnation and self-righteousness in the same person. Now, depending on whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, you'll notice one of them more than others in yourself, but both will be present. Because deep down in your spiritual person, he or she will know that you don't really measure up. To, your own, to whatever performance-based standards, usually that aren't necessarily God's performance-based standards anyway. They're not necessarily the law of God. Often they're legalism. But you know you don't measure up. On the other hand, you tend to be a little harsh towards sinners. And there's people who are just not quite as good as you in your heart and mind. And... Um, And this will kill your ministry. Let's say you have a ministry of going to the jail and sharing the gospel. Some of my funnest times have been in jails. Uh, <laughs> uh, waiting to be bailed out. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> it is a little weird when you go minister in a jail and stuff because and they, they lock the doors behind you as you're going in. It's like, I hope they're going to let me out when the evening's over. But um, uh, it's always a little fun. But if you have any kind of thing in your heart that I don't deserve to be here. That I'm not just like all these people. You have no effectiveness. Because there but by the grace of God go you. And uh, so one of the things, if, if, if you find yourself having certain categories of people that you have sort of a consternation toward drunks or whatever your, your little list is, you, you, that is actually a sign that you kind of think you have, you have that by your own power and your own strength. So the, the dichotomy will be, on the one hand, you'll feel, sense self-condemnation. People who tend to be introverted will tend to, you know, you can actually struggle with condemnation to the point where it becomes a thing psychologists call um, obsessive-compulsive disorder. And, you know, like I've ministered to people that struggle with that. And you like say, well, have you ever had a problem with drunkenness? No, never drank beer in my life. Have you ever stolen anything? No. 
and they looked at pornography. No, you know, like, but like they're totally condemned about everything. I was like, you haven't even done any sins that are interesting. <laughs> I like that scene in the, in, the, in the Luther movie where his pastor says to him, Martin, you know, like I've heard your confession for all these years and you know, frankly, you, your sins aren't even that interesting. You're kind of boring. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, but it, you'll find that if you're struggling with condemnation, it has no basis in reality. Its basis is in performance, in pride, actually, before God. Uh, we've already kind of emphasized you'll be harsh in judgment instead of gracious. You know, I don't mind telling you that this is a journey. And for me, my wife has observed me for, let's see, we met 42 years ago this summer. And uh, she's observed the sanctification process ever so gradually in my life, praying all the time. God, could you speed it up a little? And uh, <laughs> God, I'm a patient woman, but <laughs> this, this is how she, God worked patience in her life. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I won't, honestly, when we first started doing the type of ministry we've been doing the last 13 or 14 years, I wouldn't have been able to do it had I not gone through at various times in my Christian life, the school of failure. You know, I always joke that I, the only thing that I lack to have a doctorate in the school of failure is I need to write the dissertation, you know. But, uh, you know, like, I'm, I'm really, like, pretty expert in the school of failure. Because one of the things you'll find in, in Christianity today, it's acceptable to share your testimony this way. Why was this terrible person who did this, this, and this, whatever you think was terrible? You know, killing people, stealing cars, drunkenness, whatever you thought. Um, whatever your list is. And often not, not necessarily listed in the commandments in, in, the, in God's list, <laughs> in, unfortunately. But then it's like, but then I received Jesus. And I've been this godly person ever since. Now, if you've walked with the Lord longer than three years, your graph is probably not like that. <laughs> Um, I've done my worst sinning since I became a Christian. Everyone's going to just get up and leave. <laughs> Shoot, I thought I was going to a church where the pastor really had it together. No. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, a lot of the reason I've done my worst sinning since I've been a Christian is I was only an unbeliever 17 years. I've been a, Christ a Christian for 43 years. I've just had a lot more time. <laughs> And a lot of times your worst sins develop over a journey and a path that you took a wrong turn and this, you know, this lust or what this whatever gets in your heart. And over time, it takes a while to, till it becomes mature. And real sanctification uh, sometimes works by a step or two forward and then a couple steps back and then three steps forward. And, you know, God has to deliver us from ourselves. And what he's after is real sanctification where everything that you walk in is through the resurrection power of Christ and for his glory. He gets the credit for initiating it. He gets the credit for sustaining it. He gets the credit for continuing to perfect it and he will finish it and we will praise the unfathomable greatness of his grace for all eternity getting ever more insight into just how much the grace of God rescued us. That's what Ephesians 2.9 says. Or 2.7, my bad. So, 
Um, expectations and appreciations. You know, I have this saying, decrease your expectations and increase your appreciation. You know, you know that you, have to, you don't have grace in your heart when you, this happens in marriage a lot. This happens to people who lead various ministries. Well, I'm not going to use Joe in our reading ministry anymore because I talked to him about punctuality and he really agreed with me that it was important and the very next three weeks he was late five minutes. You know why? Because punctuality is a habit. It, it might not just take one talk. I always love when you're doing marriage counseling and someone goes, we talked about this already, so what's the point of talking about it again? Listen, you're going to have to talk about it again and again and again and again. And over time, by the grace of God, people do change. Sometimes people change in one or two areas very quickly. You know, when God took drugs out of my life in 1974, it was like, bam. But there were other things that were more like, (laughs) (laughs) and some things got worse for a while before God delivered me. Now, over time, a part of what spiritual maturity is, is that you do walk above things in a certain level of sanctification and a certain level of so forth, but it's because you've encountered brokenness, humility. He, you're leaning on him, not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge him. So you will be able to have more appreciation for people as you grow in grace and less expectations. You'll be less demanding. You you know, you can even in leadership have high standards, but be quick to forgive because you know you don't even live up to the standards yourself. Galatians 6.1 is a great verse about this kind of maturity. It says, um, it says, uh, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, that he's talking about a certain level of leaning on the Spirit and the power of the resurrection by the power of the Holy Spirit. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself, or the Greek could actually be translated reminding yourself, lest you too uh, fall. You know, if you're not ministering out of the power of his resurrection, you're not ministering at all. Lastly, and, very, and maybe most importantly, is you will fear man. One of the reasons you can tell there's not a lot of grace in the church today is because everybody is like, takes like two years to work up their courage to, commit, to confess their sins to someone. When they would have gotten help if they just did it, did it right away. <laughs> and, uh, and then when they do, they're really big on like, don't tell anybody this now. Don't tell anybody. Listen. The first thing, the first verse I ask everyone to memorize that if I'm going to minister with you regularly, I want you to memorize 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but what is common to man. We're all in it together. Everyone in this room has battled pride all their life. And if you haven't, you're at the wrong church. <laughs> everyone in this church... Church has battled self-righteousness and rebellion and self-determination and, and being too critical of sinners because you're too proud of yourself and so forth. And that's just some of the root, like the leaves of the tree, you know, there's alcohol and whatever. You know, I, I struggle with food. If you could have told me, when I became a Christian, when God delivered me from drugs, I was six feet tall and I weighed 113 pounds. If you would have told me at that age that I was going to have a long 
lifelong struggle with gluttony and my weight, I would have said, are you kidding me? It's my, I weigh 113 pounds. I used to wrestle 98-pound weight class in high school at 5 foot 10. And I used to eat ice cream sandwiches in front of the other wrestlers as they were getting ready to, to uh, make weight just to tick them off because I was a loving, nice person all along, even before I was a Christian. But uh, <laughs> I used to, you know, just have like a stack of ice cream sandwiches while they were working out, trying to get back up to 98, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so... Well, you'll, you'll, you'll know if you're really worried about what people think of you, that is the, that is the most um, cruel kind of bondage of all. When you have a problem with performance base, you will be like, I sure hope nobody knows who I really am. Everyone, and you'll think, everyone is judging me. Catherine remembers when we both became Christians in the early 70s, we had a pastor who was this kind of guy he had these really beady eyes and they were really like laser beams and he'd look at you and you just knew he knew like all the bad motives of your heart <laughs> and, uh, and uh just saw him recently at a thing and he still is kind of the same you know he's a pretty intense guy and uh it's like i might i might as well just come with a list of all my sins because he knows already <laughs> You know, and uh, so, uh, too much time on that, but you really got to see that. Like, look for those things in yourself. And if you have those things in yourself, I invite you to start crying out to God and start on this journey to live by grace-based instead of performance-based. This is a long journey. And the reason, if you notice, I had kind of used the word our lifelong struggle, but the, the, here's the... Here's the difference between struggle and journey, in a sense. Why I changed the word to journey. The journey has the sense of at least we're making progress. And um, struggle, you may or may not be making progress. You know, I've struggled with my weight all these years. And when I was 27, I started studying nutrition. And then I've gone back and forth between, like, you know, like the Bible says, if anyone knows what to do and doesn't do it to him, it's sin. And, you know, I've gone back to the American diet and then back to eating right and I've been the, all that what you're not supposed to be, a yo-yo dieter. And, you know, to, right now I weigh about, I don't know, 40, 40 pounds less than I weighed five years ago. And by God's grace, there's some progress. But I'm not, not exactly going to appear on any commercials for, you know, like late night, like you do the, this plan and, or buy this machine. I'm not, you know, no one's asking me to, you know, to be on any of those commercials. Yeah, he, he ate our protein bars and... <laughs> I look like I, you know, like had marshmallows, but uh, which I didn't. <laughs> so, um, but the truth is, grace-based is a journey where there is progress, but you're never going to be done this side of heaven. So. Let's get into this. Flip over. Ephesians 2, 7 talks about how in the ages to come, he would show us the unfathomable greatness of his grace. Grace is so deep, you're always going to be learning about it and experiencing about it forever. Forever. 
The only destination of this journey is Christ. And I don't think the journey even stops when we go to heaven. We won't have a sin nature anymore. But I think we'll appreciate the greatness of Christ and his grace more and more and more. The more, because the Bible says we're being changed from glory to glory, the more you touch the presence and spirit of God, the more it changes you. And in heaven, that's just going to be increased exponentially. Because we're going to be in his presence, worshiping him and adoring him all the time. And all the time becoming more Christ-like. But because of who God is, that will never end. It's kind of exciting, isn't it? One of the things I always, you, whenever you're ministering to people who have, are kind of control addicts, one of the things that God has helped me with gradually over the time, because that was one of my big issues, is you've got to switch to liking the journey to walk with God. If you're really destination-oriented, you're not going to enjoy walking with God. Because you're always going to be a little more Christ-like, and you're always going to have a lot further to go. And the joy is in the journey. All right, so first thing I want to say is daily reorient ourselves using the gospel to walking by or living in a grace-based experience. It's more than a grace-based concept. If it doesn't translate into your experience, it, it, it's, it's nowhere. So don't just have a devotional time or a quiet time, and certainly don't have it for just 15 minutes a day and all that nonsense. Spend time with God. Get into his presence. Jesus said, here's, here's how you know people who really know the Lord and don't know the Lord. Jesus said in John 5, a time will come when the dead, and he's talking about spiritually dead, will hear my voice, and those who hear will live. Right? So when the Lord calls you into life from spiritual death, you hit the Holy Spirit regenerates you. You come into a born-again experience. You can start to know the presence of God. And that's how you know that you're heading the right direction. And little by little in your Bible reading and your worship and your spiritual disciplines and fellowship, you sense the presence of God and hear his voice ever clear, more clearly. And you enjoy his presence ever more and more and more till you, your inward life cries out like the psalmist, uh, a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. That we, what we want to do is meditate in his temple. So, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but not, now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For, always look when the fours are for there. For it is God that's at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, if you take the scripture out of context, you get a lot of crazy ideas. If you just read verse 12, you would think that someone's preaching works to you. You know, like you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Boy, that's very performance-based, but that's not the whole sentence. And the four changes the meaning of everything he just said. 
It changes it for the reason you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because it's actually God that's working it out in you, and you're responding to his initiatives. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. And is he, if he might call you to study this, or to get counsel on that, or to reach out to this person. One of the things you'll find is, um, you know, I'm a discipling a kid right now that doesn't know anything about God, except for he became a Christian, and somehow God gave him this Bible study on Thursday nights. And uh, he's about as qualified as I was when I started my first Bible study. So I said, well, wait. And I, and I, I know that he's going to get 10 times more out of it than the people. I said, you should spend 8 to 12 hours preparing for your Bible study. <laughs> Because if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in much. And you'll learn ten times more than the people you're sharing with. One of the important reasons to get involved in ministry is because God will teach you on the job. I'd been a Christian. My first speech was at my little brother's funeral, and I'd been a Christian like, well, I don't even know, like a month or something. And... uh, then I was asked by these little old ladies to teach their little kids Bible study. And I used to spend like 12 hours preparing as if like these six-year-olds and eight-year-olds were going to change the world. Maybe they did later <laughs> after they were able to recover from whatever I shared with them. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you, know, but you know, I didn't realize till many years later, I'm the one that benefited from that. <laughs> I don't know if they ever understood anything I was talking about. They probably thought I was nuts. Uh, uh, but I sure was learning a lot preparing. Romans 10, 1 through 4, very important. This is all about the fact that the, if you really understand the Old Testament, Old Testament Christians were saved by grace, not by works, contrary to the modern idea called dispensationalism, which is a completely modern idea, but very popular in, in the church today. Um, but everyone who... You know, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. David's Psalms of Repentance, Psalm 32, Psalm 51, are about grace, and they're about God sustaining us with a willing spirit and his creating a new heart in us and so forth. Everyone who was ever walking with God was walking with God by grace. But what Israel always was tempted to do, as so many are today, is shift to a performance-based and that's why God would, they were constantly in trouble with the Lord. That's why they hated the Gentiles around them when they were in, supposed to be mediators of God's grace to the world around them. In Exodus 19, when Moses on Mount Sinai, uh, is, you know, God enters in the covenant through Moses with Israel, and he's... And, and he's talking about it, obeying the voice of the Lord and doing all his commandments. Israel cry out, cries out, all his, that he has spoken we will do. That was a very performance-based answer, and that sealed their faith. Exodus 19, 1 through 6, if you're not familiar with that passage. It's quoted by Peter in 1 Peter 2, 5 and 9. If they had said, everything you're commanding, we could never do rescue us, they would have had a great, much different outcome. So Romans 10.4, listen to this. What Paul is saying about Israel in his day, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. 
For I bear them witness that they have a zeal uh, for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the telos in the Greek, that is the goal of the end, not in the sense of the touchdown, but in, the, in he's the purpose of the law for righteousness, and he's the realization of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, let, look at the four structure, because what the fours are doing is like a logical argument that says um, A is true because B is true. He's kind of doing a logical argument backwards, as Paul often does. What he's, on, what he's really doing is saying, uh, if, we, if we did it uh, more in a modern or, or, a, or even an ancient Greek platonic uh, structure of argument, he'd say, Christ is the, the realization of the law for everyone who believes. That's point A. And because that's true, um, you should quit you know, being ignorant of God's righteousness and quit seeking to establish your own and submit and receive the righteousness of God. Do you know why that's hard? Because, it ta- because you get no credit. It leaves you no room for boasting. The flesh does not like that. Because if you really realize grace, there's no room for pride left. You realize that God chooses the worst sorts of people. And, uh, and so, and work your way backwards. Paul's desire was that they could be saved, but they could never be saved because they were pursuing righteousness by performance base. And God can't stand that. He's not just a little perturbed about it. He sent armies to destroy Jerusalem about it. That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24 and 25, the coming destruction of Jerusalem, not the end times. And he's, God hates self-righteousness. The only righteousness possible is to exchange your efforts for his accomplished work. Trade it all in. And that's not just something you do at salvation. Then you start working on, you know, I study more and I do more. I go to the right schools and I hang out with the right people and I do all these things and There's death in that pot. Look at the Galatians. It's interesting. If if you understand who who the first who the Corinthians were, and you understand that Paul in First Corinthians says this is the second time I'm writing you. So actually, First Corinthians is actually the second Corinthian letter, and Second Corinthians is actually the third Christian Corinthian letter. But we don't have the first one. It got it's lost our history. But in other, in any case, if you understand who he's talking to that he had spent 18 months there, and that he had left without raising up any elders because no one was even coming close to being qualified yet. And he says, I had to talk, I have to give you milk and not meat. I have to talk to you like mere men because you, li- you actually live like, no- like normal, you don't live like super empowered Holy Spirit people. You're not superhumans, you're just normal people. That's not what a Christian's supposed to be. You're supposed to have given up on normal being normal 
and accepted a new identity in Christ. Even with all the problems the Corinthians had, Paul spends a lot of time praising them for the sure signs of God's grace that was at work in them. But with the Galatians, he doesn't do that. It's the shortest salutation of any of his letters. And he gets right into, uh, you know, I am amazed that you're so quickly deserting him, Christ, who called you by the grace of Christ, God for a different gospel. Because what you've done is you've prayed this sinner's prayer, then you started perfecting yourself. And then you laid on, you know, which is really not another gospel, because all perverted gospels are not really gospels. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want, want to distort the gospel of Christ. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? In, in, in chapter 3, 1, he, has, he says that they're bewitched. He's actually saying, you've gone beyond the flesh, a fleshly thing to a demonic thing. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? So this performance-based thing is, is a very deep problem. So let's get into some things real quick. Here's where it's rooted in. It's first and all rooted in our sin nature in its own pride and rebellion. We, because grace is a scandal. You know, if you go to Christian conferences, you read the little brochure on the back, it'll say, so-and-so, Jack Taylor, or somebody's, I don't know if there is a Jack Taylor, but whatever. And, you know, I'm sure there is, but whatever. Bob Smith is, is speaking, and here's his credentials. He was saved at the age of 17, and he went to this school and that school, and he got this degree and that degree, and he pastored this church, and he has a wife and four kids, and he's not this very godly guy. What if they said, like, he was a drug addict, <laughs> you know, and after he was arrested and, and the first night in jail, he came to his senses and received Christ. And uh, it's been a long journey since then. You know, <laughs> you don't even want to know. Um, so that's, you, the, this performance-based thing is deep in our sin natures. Secondly, it's an antinomian legalism. Boy, I wish I had. I need an hour and a half. I wish we could start at 9 instead of 9.30. Um, if you study Matthew 5, 17 through 48, you'll, that's what's called the locus classicus, which is the clearest verse about Christ's attitude toward the law. Most people misunderstand and say Jesus was all upset with the Pharisees because they were walking by law and not by grace. No, he was upset because of their performance-based, twisted perversions of the law and wanted to establish the true law, which is in himself. And he didn't come to abolish any jot or tittle of the law. He said if anyone does that, uh, that they'll be called least in the kingdom of God. In Christ, we fulfill the law that we could never do in and of ourselves. And we become by nature or obeyers of the law because we receive a new nature now when a deep idea that came in the modern church is called antinomianism where you say well because we're saved by grace the law is not important the law never saved anyone but the law is very important it 
perfect Christ perfectly reflects the law. The law perfectly reflects Christ. And the law is still God's standard. If he didn't like adultery back then, he still doesn't like it. If he didn't like murder back then, he still doesn't like it. If he didn't like the first, you know, the first commandment is that we uh, love God. They have no other gods beside him. If he didn't like our mediocre, complacent zeal for God then, he's not going to like it now. He wants fulls, he wants everything. So when you have, <clears throat> because we're made in God's image, when you have what's called antinomianism in your heart, which about 95% of Christians have, don't even know that they have that because that's become a very prevalent theology. When you have that, we are by nature creatures of law because we're made in God's image. What you'll do is make up your own laws. And it might be about haircuts or can't wear dresses or makeup or you, any other kind of nonsense you might want to come up with. But you'll still have it and you'll still be self-righteous about it. And you'll judge other people who don't live by your false standards of law. I, remember, I, went, to a, I went to a store right after the Super Bowl. Ran into a Christian guy. And the first thing he wanted to, he goes, do you think Peyton Manning's a Christian? He mentioned that he was going to have a beer. <laughs> like, this is the most important issue on your heart today. <laughs> I'm sorry for you. I love you. Let's let Lord help him. Uh, contemporary Christian religious subcultures, a lot of the evangelical culture, a lot of Roman Catholics are performance-based. I was raised Roman Catholic, I know. <laughs> uh, demonic spirits, Paul's saying in Galatians 3, 1, that they've gone beyond doing this out of their natural legalistic nature, and it's actually, they've become bewitched. It's actually become a demonic problem for them. Now, if you read Christian psychology books, you'll put all of it in number five, that if you had bad upbringing and you had a wounded spirit and your dad wasn't emotionally available or someone was verbally or other or whatever kind of abusive and so forth, all of that just plays into our sin nature and is kind of secondary causes. But they are there and they are real and God wants to heal, deliver, alter, change, help you. That's part of what John and Emily help people with with the Sozo ministry. So, uh, those things are important. They're just the, you know, they're just in league with our sin nature and with demonic spirits and so forth. But they're they're not unimportant. But they're not the root cause. Now, next week, I guess I'm going to have to do this another week. Shoot, that's why I love Tuesday nights because I get to share for an hour and a half. Uh, next week, we'll talk to some about some anecdotes. In other words, how can you start making progress in this whole thing of being grace-based instead of being performance-based? Um, all of us have need to make progress. There's an aspect of grace that it says from glory to glory is changing us. So if you don't know this, there's an aspect of grace that the more you encounter grace, the more there begins to be permanent changes in who you are by the grace of God.
and you become, you know, that's why lots of people have testimonies. You know, I, when I tell people who I was before I was a Christian, I'm very thankful that sometimes they go, nah, I can't believe that. You, you used to deal drugs out of the chief of police's house and, you know, make $100 a day on selling drugs in your high school, and you broke every law and had it led student walkouts. And Well, yeah, I was lost. Lost people do lost things. You know? <laughs> so, you know, and, you know, there's lots of people in our church that whose testimonies are more bizarre than that, and, and that's great. Because grace will permanently change you. And someday, if someone says, well, Davion used to be this way, uh, or Davion sharing his testimony, they'll go, no way, you couldn't have been like that. There's, I know you now. There's no way you're like that. Well, thank you, Jesus, because the Lord has changed him. And I can't imagine Davion like I used to know him six, seven years ago, because he's nothing like that anymore. And that's been the... On, that's been by permanent deposits of God's grace over time. Amen.